Uh, let's start it again, actually. <laughs> <laughs> this is I Have Last Hours. I'm Jeremy S. Gary, and today's guest is Fabien Negroux, a tra non-traditional storyteller and a longtime friend. Thank you for being here. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. It's funny. Uh, we both come from the school of New York City nightlife. I call it the school of New York City nightlife Big because... Because I learned so much and the grind, uh, which allowed me to to do everything I do now, is based on what I learned through there. Uh, you're also from Paris. Mm -hmm. I'm born there. I'm not from there. I'm from here. But uh, there's that there's that connection. But most of all, the reason why I feel connected to you the most, uh, I'm not sure if we've ever spoken about this, is because we, we were in nightlife, and I feel like we were attempting other businesses together at the same time to make our way out of it. And I yeah. respect you see someone trying to do the hustle that you're doing and it's like this common bond you have and when i was doing hangry garden and you were doing uh crepe sucre mm -hmm. like it was i just saw the hustle and i saw where you were at and i, I felt it because i was feeling the same way and uh i think we developed a mutual respect through that true yeah, yeah absolutely i mean respect and uh, just the consistency which you're usually looking for in people yeah friends or family yeah. but mostly friends and you have that thing as well yeah. like loyalty and yeah. i know that's something i thought about right before coming that we've known each other probably 15 16 years now yeah and even though we don't speak that often yeah. when we do it's always a great time and when you show up to paris or when i come back to new york yeah. and but it was that uh yeah shared uh hustle which is something we definitely learn in new yeah. york nightlife for new sure. york in general but yeah. nightlife was a huge part of it and we all try one way or another to transition out of it I mean, we've seen many of them. Yeah, I mean... Uh, better success or not, it all depends on people. I think for me, seeing the generic transition of a lot of them, and no offense, there's nothing wrong with this, but becoming real estate agents ate at my soul. And I didn't want to fall into um, losing my ability to be creative. And not to say you can't be creative in that. And again, I want to reiterate, because I feel like I'm bashing anyone who goes into that. I'm not. But for me, it wasn't my path. Uh, I wanted to be able to do something that was innovative and different and uh, still also creative. And uh, I remember trying so many different businesses and elements to, to, to do that and a lot of failed attempts. Um, and Yeah, well, you live and learn. Huh? Absolutely. No, I, I, and those were all necessary, for sure. Yeah. Um, I'd like to know some of, well, we're going to get into your whole story, right? So um, we'll start from where you're originally from and... Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. Paris, yeah, of <laughs> Paris, course. France, born and raised. Um, I was there until like 23 and eventually moved to New York. Yeah, it was between 23, 24. Stayed for about 15 years, which we shared a bunch of uh, good stories yeah. in these 15 years. Uh, as cliche as it seemed, I really moved to New York with no visa, no story whatsoever, no money, and, and tried to make it happen like many other immigrants. Yeah. Uh, and eventually, a uh, guy which I'm sure you remember was the very first one to give me a shot was John Gable. Really? Yeah, Gable Entertainment. Gable gave you your first shot? Yeah. Because I remember, from what I remember of your brand, Nightlife brand, it was usually elevated, right? More mm -hmm. on the luxury side. And if I think of John Gable, I think more of the mainstream general yeah. masses. Well, pretty quickly, I understood how John operated. Yeah. And by the way, in respect to him, I think he was doing a great job at what Amazing he was doing, job, specifically yeah. all the New Year's Eve yes. parties. He was yeah. extremely good at it. Uh, his business model was working very well. Uh, on the weekly basis of nightclub, I 
pretty quickly transitioned into having my own brand, which is called the very first one called Clientele Group, and still working under the um, uh, company that John had, uh, pretty much. But the yeah. brand was mine, and that's this was my way to eventually separate from him. And and people thought I was working on my own. Mm-hmm. These were the first two years, and eventually I created what's still the company. P-U-R, Pure Entertainment, uh, which I've done <laughs> 15 years of nightlife yeah. with it, and a bunch of different events from the weekly club party, which we're very familiar with, Yes, and uh, some more punctual thing, and there were also the indoor pool parties, and the yeah, I remember brunch parties, and the, yeah. You know, I think about those weekly club parties, I remember moments in my life where I loved them. It was the way, because my community was there. We gathered together because that was what everyone wanted to do. Yeah. Uh, and when it no longer was the place where people wanted to gather anymore, it was eating my soul, like having to be in the nightclub when I personally didn't want to be there and having to convince people to be there. Oh, yeah. that that Being would, there, done that. Yeah, no, um, absolutely. Just like you, I think uh, the reason why I was able to last so long uh, was also because I really tried to surround myself with people I actually truly appreciate the company and it was yeah. mutual. Yeah. And I think you can say the same today. Looking back years after, I've put together so many people, whether like best friends, even initiating weddings, people get married by meeting some yeah. my parties and my events. And as an immigrant specifically, because you move to New York, without friends and family, and you're a little bit on your own, you tend to recreate pretty quickly a core group of, yeah. of close people. And this was the same for a lot of the people that were around my uh, group as well, which yeah. whether they were French, Italian, Mexican, Brazilian, a lot of those, a lot of Latin, but also Scandinavian and American. And for those people, you eventually recreate that group, which become your kind of New York family. Chosen family, yeah. Chosen family. And you definitely want to hang out with them as much as possible. Yeah. And this is when our parties become the playground for them to get together. And as you grow within the industry, you start doing those dinners and the brunch and also some weekends sometimes. And that provide a even better platform and outlet for them to hang out together rather than just nightclub. Right. But truthfully, when you're 25 i mean a nightclub is just fine exactly yeah. absolutely yeah. but i think you're be, you're the one that's facilitating the social environment for them right so you're playing a huge role the tricky part is you're not tricky it can be viewed as tricky is that you're getting paid to do so True. but then again if they understood the work that went behind it then they would understand that you're getting underpaid right yeah, <laughs> I mean, and, and this remain a win-win regardless because these people get to go to the best clubs. Agreed. If you are in uh, working with the best clubs, they get in for free. Mm-hmm. They don't get to spend much money. I mean, you know the drill. Yeah, you know of course. Out. Uh, on top of it, if you get to organize dinners before, they get free food. <laughs> yeah, free dinners in exactly. some of the best restaurants. Okay. And it's also something I try to do was always working with brand that would treat me as a client rather than treating me as a promoter. Mm -hmm. Therefore, my own friends or clients would get the same type of experience as if they were paying for it. And that makes a huge difference Mm -hmm. from just being a filler in either a restaurant or a club or a bar and being treated just like anybody else. Yeah. And so they were gaining, I mean, gaining something out of it. Oh, for sure. The friendships and the company and and the fun. They were obviously also, let's be realistic, also for youngsters, just getting started in New York, they were saving money. Yeah, 
hundred percent. So I don't think they mind you making a little buck on it. Listen, uh, anyone who's reasonable appreciates it. Yeah. Um, but let's go back a little bit. You obviously, I don't think this is what you had in mind as a kid. But what was growing up in Paris like, and what would you, what did you see your life being when you were a kid? Um, so I grew up with a family where uh, both my parents were entrepreneurs. So. Yeah. My dad was an architect. My mom was a landscape architect and both had their own company. So we definitely grew up watching our parents yeah. going uh, to work pretty early, coming back pretty late. So I definitely wanted myself, I think, be one of those, knowing what it means to work and uh, art uh, working income, if you will. Mm -hmm. um, both my parents were very social. So it wouldn't be surprising that a few years later I ended up putting parties together myself. Yeah. With in Paris first. You started in Paris. I kind of did, yeah. At the age of uh, 17 and 18, I was already uh, putting parties together at least once a month. Uh, during um, college, I was working also as a bartender and helping out. So I was always within that industry, kind of, yeah. even though this was not the job I had eventually after college. But um, I think, yeah, parents pretty social, having people over pretty often. Yeah. Um, it definitely, uh, definitely, I guess, put me on the path to uh, knowing what it means to get people together right. and make it a party and an event. Uh, growing up, I was doing a lot of sports, mostly tennis and soccer. Uh, even when for school, like, um, called that tennis etude. I don't, I mean, you know, like a sports school yeah. where I would mm -hmm. literally go to class from eight to one and then eventually play tennis in the afternoon um, at a pretty, pretty good level until I got tired of that old tennis world. Yeah. which was very focused on one kid and the family. And I mean, it didn't work for me as well as the collective, um, the team sports, such as soccer was a better fit yeah. for me, I guess. Uh, and eventually went to uh, college for uh, communication and advertising. I wanted to work as a copywriter, which okay. I ended up doing. I worked for a pretty large company called DDB. It's part of the Omnicom group for about a year after college. In Paris, of course. In Paris, yeah. uh, in the headquarters over there. Uh, seemed fun at first, and eventually I just realized that advertising was nothing close to the golden age of the 80s and the 90s. And mm -hmm. I decided to resign and went on to work a summer in Saint-Tropez in one of those fancy party beach, which was the uh, uh, the pioneer of the daytime party, even mm. 20 years before Bagatelle even opened. Really? Yeah, yeah. It was called La Voile Rouge. And what was your that. job there? <laughs> Waitering, rich clients, and having fun, spraying champagne, and I mean, yeah. I won't surprise you, right? Yeah, yeah. But, uh, yeah, I did a summer like that, and eventually, just a few months after, I, um, a friend of mine, closest friend, very close friend of mine, was going to New York for an internship for six months. It was the end of the summer, and told me, Fabian, by the way, I'm going there for six months. If you don't have nothing to do, just come and visit. And by the time September arrived, I'm like, talked to my parents, they're like, you know what, I resigned a few months ago, I just spent the summer, I made money. Why not giving it a shot and going to New York? Yeah. I'd been there just once for a vacation about a year earlier with my best friend from college. I absolutely fell in love mm -hmm. with the city. So I told myself, yeah, that's a good, good occasion to go back. I think it was late of 2004. 
and was supposed to stay for two months and you know it is i stayed for a little longer and and eventually made it back full-time permanently in february of 2006. so what did you do in the meantime before february 2006 you were in new york you were just i did uh did some restaurant work yeah uh like a lot of people i yeah. suppose if i'm supposed to say it but yeah you know not necessarily had a visa just yet. <laughs> right i mean it's not you, uncommon but yeah it's not yeah. uncommon uh yeah, work. And actually, um, I started working, uh, going back to when I told you John Gable was the first one that gave me a shot. The very first one that gave me a shot was Etienne de Yans. Yeah. You remember him? Etienne was... He, uh, he was doing those tapis rouge party. Is he the Haitian guy? He's, um, I don't know if he's Asian. I think he has some African origin and his brother <laughs> was the pirate. Yes, Jean-Claude. Jean-Claude. Yeah. But back then, uh, I think... Um, Etienne was uh, running the operation, the promotion at Lotus. Was two, he? 204, yeah. On Tuesdays, Tuesdays. In 2004? Tuesdays. Oh, Tuesdays, okay. And this was the very first time that I set a foot in the New York nightclub as a promoter. And eventually I work, I think, under his uh, name for about three months. And when I came back in 2006, that's when eventually John Gable hired me and mm. did, did the visa for me, which was a big deal. He did? Yeah, yeah he did. So Lotus was the first place I did a, a, a weekday party. I would do Wednesdays with Bill Spector underneath the Smack yeah. Entertainment. So that place was special. Fun fact, I saw Bill in Paris two months ago. Really? Yeah. Bill was <laughs> one of the guys that gave me the start in the mainstream parties. I first started doing like some stuff with a friend of mine that was like some backpacker hip hop sounds. Plus it was like two, two levels. So it was like backpacker hip-hop and downstairs like this backpacker house music with congas and all that so mm -hmm. it was that was the scene then it went into more of like the latin slash hip-hop scene then it wasn't until i got an internship at crowbar uh yeah. that i met bill and so before of, it became pink right? way before it, right? this is like before they even opened up so okay. there was six months before crowbar opened up i was in the inter marketing intern and gotcha. that's where i met everybody who was anybody in nightlife and I liked the guys from Smack. They were doing like cool hip hop parties. They were dressing like the way I would dress and they were going to clubs that way. And I was like, this is who I want to hang out with. And uh, that's how I got started in that scene. Yeah, well, I, <clears throat> actually listening to hip hop back in Paris, but the scene over there was already a lot of house music. Um, and I actually remember in 2006 when I started in clubs, even like Kane or Pink Elephant after, yeah. this was a huge deal having a house music club Pink yeah. Elephant was probably the very first one, even before the 27th Street location, to do it. As a small club, because it used to be small, big, yeah. like, sound factory. Yeah, Those were indeed. all house, but, yeah. And uh, I remember coming to New York and working at PM and thinking, wow, this is so cool to be able to go in a club where they That's play super you. cool hip-hop. I met you at PM first with uh, Vincent Magnum. I wow. I think he introduced us. Yeah. yeah. He's still DJing in Paris, as a matter of fact. I know he is. I see him every time. I'm, <laughs> if he's in town, I didn't see him last time because he was DJing in Monaco for yeah. the Grand Prix, but yeah. Uh, but yeah, there was a, that was actually great for me as a Parisian and a French to be able to go in a club, but a kind of a fancy elite type of club where they would play hip-hop yeah. rather than, it was more of a street thing back yeah. in Paris yeah. and clubs were much about the house scene. Yeah. Uh, so that was a good thing and eventually then came to be working with like I said, Pink Elephant and Kane with Jamie and Jema, which yeah. was an amazing time. I um, did the Tuesdays with D-Nice there. Great I think report. I was working Friday night. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I mean, these were the years of 27th Street, right? Yeah, exactly. When, when you're doing this, what was your view of nightlife? Was it for you 
this is a career or was it this is a good stepping stone? What was your view? This is a good stepping stone, but I would lie if I was not admitting that probably at age 24, 25, I told myself, yeah, well, it might be just a step, but who knows if I can take it further. Um, also because a lot of people within that industry would work or would start as a promoter and eventually transition into either a club owner or an yeah. operator or... Um, I think coming from the advertising world and that since I'd made a lot of events before, I told myself, let's create a, an extensive network of people and probably do more events if possible. And then, I mean, I'll be honest, I eventually get absorbed by the sucked in by the industry and the easy money. And, and once you quick start money, I wouldn't call it easy. It's not easy. It's quick money, quick money. It's called yeah. quick money. Uh, you're right. It's quick money. But once you start doing well, it's, uh, <laughs> I mean, you, yeah, you get sucked in because it's fun. You're in New York City. And especially at that age because your friends the same age haven't climbed the corporate ladder high enough to make as much money as you're making in nightlife. True. So. Yeah, they're just getting started and you're definitely making very good amount of money. Yeah. You're between 25 and 30, which is for a lot of people, including myself, this is the first time you start making this much money. You're able to get yourself a place, buy stuff, do good vacation. and. Yeah. Looking back at 42, now, I'm like, okay, well, I don't yeah. regret it, but you live and learn. And now, you know, you know what to buy, when to buy, you know where to go for the right amount of money, not mm -hmm. to spend your money unnecessarily. But back then, yeah, you do it. It's fun. And right. I absolutely do not regret it. But yeah, to your question, I think that was, that was a step to something that would hopefully transition to more luxury events. Mm -hmm. At least there was the plan back then. Uh, and as my brand was growing, as Fabian, the French promoter, I suppose, uh, I got, I, I stuck around. <laughs> I mean, like yeah. I've studying, enjoying it. Uh, but eventually around like 31, 32, so about seven, eight years within that industry of doing it, I really started looking at options, how I could transition out of nightlife. I eventually had an opportunity to be a partner in a wine bar. Kind of thing fell apart, but I was definitely looking at uh, transitioning out of it and making the best of that work, that network I'd built. Um, and eventually, as you know, a few years later, I ended up opening Crêpe Sucre and the French block. Uh, yeah. Crêpe Sucre, which was just the crêpe bar within that food market, the Gazelle market. And when the food uh, court was relocated, in, uh, I eventually took over the spot for the coffee, yeah. which eventually ended up being a own store. Might talk about it after. But yeah, I think there was definitely, uh, after seven or eight years, there was definitely a plan to take it somewhere else rather than just sticking around, but the truth is until I left New York 2019, I mean, I still go back and forth and I spent a lot of time in New York, but I think until 2019, I was still doing a lot of it. At yeah. least twice a week or... And it took you leaving to kind of get that separation? Absolutely. Or perspective? Um, and so why was the initial, why did you leave initially as well? Uh, so in 20, by, by the mid-2017, I was back then still doing three parties a week, which was Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. I had uh, I was a partner in a concierge service with uh, Laurent Bard yeah. and uh, Marc Bao. Mm. 
which had started that company, had jumped on board, and were doing concierge services, which they still do. The company's doing well. Um, and I had the crepe coffee shop, which I had just moved to an actual location, which was <laughs> within the San Remo I remember um, space. beautiful location in regards beautiful to beautiful location yeah. on paper. Um, I took uh. the phone shop of the speakeasy, but I didn't do my due diligence and I paid the price for it because I rushed into taking that space. Uh, also back then, I, I don't know why I forgot this name. Uh, he offered me the opportunity and I trusted him. He was one of the GM also at one hotel with the ponytail, he was dating Ruby. Do you, do you remember him? I don't remember. No. Great guy. I mean, we got along very well. He was involved and he said, I know you're looking for a space, but don't you take the space? And I said, yeah, sure. Actually, that's a good space. I remember back then used to be, uh, do you remember Bobby from Pink? Yes. He was a contractor. Yeah. He was doing all my, my uh, renovation and thing. We renovated the space in two weeks and I re reopened during Fashion Week. Super happy finally getting that real French coffee shop slash bar because yeah. I could benefit from the full eco license of the speakeasy as well. So it was a coffee shop, you had food, and you could transition into bar at night. It was really getting started very well. And without really me knowing, they stopped paying the rent yeah. for some time, and eventually the landlord evicted them from the space. I was just subletting. I was not yeah. renting, so I was guilty by association. I tried to reach out to that landlord. Uh, but long story short, I got to vacate the premises in the span of 48 hours, put five people to unemployment, which had become my friend. And even though that one venture was not generating as much money, it was probably the one at that specific time that was making me the happiest. Yeah. Because nightlife, it had been 13 yeah. years. The concierge service were only for two years, but... I mean, Mark and Laurent wouldn't be surprised me saying it, but I was not so much into it. Yeah. I, just, I didn't have that uh, drive yeah. to spend time with those rich guys and just yeah. delivering any service. It's not so much what I do. Um, so when they took it away from me, the bar, it definitely took something really away from me as far as me loving New York, being happy in New York, and, and finding that balance. And at the time, to be honest with you, Nothing surprising for New York people, but I was working close to 22 hours a day. Yeah. Like I would wake up at 6.15 in the morning, get to the spot at 7, 7.30. Then at 1, I would go to the concierge service office until 7 or 8, then come back home, shower, and then go to a dinner at 10, and eventually clubs until 4, go to bed at 4.30, and wake up again at 6.30. And disclaimer, I'm not doing drugs on top of it. Yeah. I'm not a drug user, yeah. even though I was a nightlife person. So when they took it away from me, I'm like, you know what? Actually, yeah. that all that balance and the way I was doing things is not working for me anymore. So I'm going to take two years. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm going to take two months, correction, some uh, sabbatical two months yeah. and start traveling a little longer. Because you know so well in nightlife, we used to take some time off, sometimes like two or three days, five days, six days, but you would never take like three weeks, four weeks. You would never go. The only time I would long. take away two, three weeks would be January. Right after New Year's. Yeah, fair enough. There was yeah. January and it was a little bit of August, August maybe yeah. for European like us specifically. Um, but it was kind of uh, unusual. And I remember myself in the summer when it would take potentially 11 days, 12 days, I would always be on my phone and thinking I have to get back to New York. Yes, because I hate You have feeling. to be back. You uh. have to be back. The phone was like yeah. nonstop. And my family knew me since 2006. I moved, I moved to New York and I started that job. I would always be on my phone. But anyway, going back to what I was telling you, 
when that happened, I said, you know what? Let me actually try to take longer like uh, trips, going back home for a longer period of time. Needless to mention, uh, side note, I'd lost my dad in 2016, so I think it definitely played a part. Like, you know, unconsciously, oh, sure. maybe wanted to take a break and take things uh, off my mind for a bit. So I went to places I'd been wanting to go. I went to Iceland, I went to Japan. I started, um, I did work for a charity as well for kids at the Children, uh, the Bellevue Hospital. Mm -hmm. And two months became two years. Long story short, I kind of never stopped. I would go back to New York every 10 days or so, do a party, I would pay for the rent. Yeah. And I would make it work with, you know, my savings and yeah. just like travel. And I, I loved it so much that I think it served as an introspection and it made me look, uh, at least took some uh, distance with the city itself and understanding that I was not so addicted to the city anymore. Right. At that age, 37, 38, obviously my priorities had shifted. And a year prior to me shutting down the cafe, I probably was still thinking that I would spend at least 10 or 15 years in New York. And I was at the coffee shop, the concierge service, I was still doing nightlife, I had offers and options to do other things. And eventually when they took it away from me, I do believe looking back now, it was definitely a blessing in disguise yeah, because he helped sure. me tremendously. Like, yeah. And you went to Paris from there? You moved? Yeah, I ended up, <clears throat> I moved, kind of moved back in uh, November, 2019. Um, Good timing. Right? <laughs> <laughs> when I usually tell people I've been, yeah, I've been kind of, I moved back three years ago. It's like, oh yeah, I moved back because of COVID. I'm like, no, I actually moved back two months before COVID. It yeah. was a well-thought decision. It just happened to be a pretty good coincidence yeah. because looking back, working nightlife, if I'd been still in New York, paying that like $4,500 rent, <laughs> you know, and having an industry that was a total like, uh, stop yeah for about what a year year and a half yeah i don't know how i would have made it financially speaking um, i agree i mean it was that's part of the reason i never want to say COVID was a blessing a lot of people lost their lives uh i i i use it to my advantage to build outsiders and when when i spent so much time away from nightlife because of covid the thought of going back to doing weekly parties made me physically ill i, I couldn't do it so I've decided not to and work on outsiders to grow it. Yeah. And, and probably blessing these guys that COVID because you didn't have any other option. I mean, you had to yeah. kind of, right? Yeah. So. And, and, um, more than that, I was afraid that I couldn't live without the nightlife money and mm -hmm. I was able to, I, I yeah. made less for sure. Um, uh, I'm getting closer to making that money. You know, I think this year might be the year I make as much as I did in nightlife. Congrats. Thank you. Nice. Um, but also, you know, it made me realize I didn't need a lot of things either. You know, you, when you realize you have to live, you don't know how long you have to live on what you have, you scale down a lot. And when you realize it's not so bad, it makes things a lot simpler. I mean, that's what happened to me because uh, I moved back home with what I consider being enough saving to be able to sustain my lifestyle at least a much more humble lifestyle for a bit but uh not knowing when and if right. i was going to still like make money because i moved back home not knowing what i was going to do just yet COVID happened and at a time i was 
transitioning towards photography, which is what I'd become. Did you like. know you wanted to do photography or you no. just had a camera and you were like, I feel like taking photos? Mm, well, yeah, I feel like taking photos because this, uh, it always, it was a hobby of mine for sure um, for the last 10 years or so. But I would say like anybody else, go to uh, vacation, to trips and you take pictures. I would do it as well in the street already because I eventually became more of a street photographer yeah. than a fashion photographer. So that's something I've, I've This man right here is a street photographer as well. So you will understand it. Yeah. Uh, that's some, I mean, it's like peace of mind when you're out there, right? Just walking, yeah. taking pictures. Being present. And, and well, to your point, it's exactly what happened during COVID for me. I'd uh, moved back probably three months before. I just literally moved to that new place early February. And in France, roughly, I remember the President Macron spoke March 12th. I was just celebrating my birthday. And he said, we're getting into lockdown on the 17th, which is something we talked about before. But for people that do not know, the, the rules in France were much stricter than they were here in the U.S. Not as bad as Italy, maybe Spain, but France was just after where we could, not, we could only step out of the house for about one hour per day, within a one kilometer radius, mm. which is about three quarter of a mile, yeah. two third of a mile for you guys. Um, and I just moved to that place and I told myself, well, this would be an occasion to get used to my place, which was in an amazing neighborhood initially, Montargueil, which you know, which mm -hmm. is more of a village, a lot of bars, restaurants. Once shut down, it's just <laughs> empty streets. Yeah. Not as fun anymore. Uh, typical apartment from Montargueil, low ceiling, not so large, not a balcony, uh, a building right across so you don't get much light, which when the neighborhood is lively, it's great. But yeah. when it's not, you're kind of stuck. And I had just celebrated my birthday um, with a bunch of friends on the 12th of March. We did dinner and then we went to what will, for all of us, be the last club party for about a year and a half. We mm. celebrated in a club what could have been. It probably was a cluster. Where did you then. go? Uh, no, back then it was... Uh, uh, Rouge Pigalle, okay. which had that disco soulful house on Thursday I've been to for Rouge, still open. people after 30, which yeah. was like more of our vibe. Uh, but it was like probably 400 people like just stuck with yeah. one another <laughs> dancing the whole night and sweating. And yeah. I mean, this was already a big deal because um, the club, all the clubs in Paris get shut down the day after. Mm. Oh, wow. <laughs> but I consider yeah. uh, going in the lockdown in my family house with my mom. Um, but I was like, you know what? Last night was not your best move. You, you don't even know whether you have it or not. And yes. I talked to my brother and sister and said, we do not know so much just yet. So you know what? Let's be safe for mom. I'm actually going to stay on my own yeah. in that apartment. And on a side note, a few of my best buddy and I had discussed the opportunity of renting a house in the countryside, just like if you were renting something upstate, telling yourself, like, do you really want to stay for like eight weeks in Paris stuck in your apartment? We started looking at places. We were going to do it. Things fell apart. I'm stuck in my apartment. I'm in Paris. It's March 17. There's no way to move anymore. And I'm like, going back to your point, I'm going to have to step out of the house, at least besides just the one hour per day. You could also like work out. So if you were running, you were low to an extra hour. Right. You know, I run. I did not suddenly starting running, but yeah. I would step out of the house for this. I would step out of that an extra hour. And for me, I would literally take that hour to walk in the street for photography purposes, but First, I think for memory, for the sake of memory, but also because to me, this was that outlet to keep me sane. Yes. And to this day, literally every single day in Paris or in New York, everywhere I go, I will at least walk around for two hours, phone in my hand, 
because also something I'm going to talk about. I, I do have a body camera and I shoot with it, but I still to this day shoot probably 80 of my pictures, 80% of my pictures with really? my iPhone. And also because it uh, gives you that flexibility and mobility. You of don't course. get necessarily with the body camera. Needless to mention, when you shoot street photography, you shoot, I shoot people. Yeah. I capture moments. So you you much quicker, needless to mention, you don't get uh, noticed as much. You would he's know got a few of about. those experiences where he's gotten stuff thrown I got, at him. Yeah, I have one of the falafel car guys throw food at me. <laughs> there I mean, you go. You so. get, I mean, people don't like, you just take a picture of me, they'll come up and try to punch you in the face. Yeah. I had a lady tell me to delete. I was shooting film one day. She's like, delete that. I was like, it's film. I can't. She's like, open it. I was like, hell no. I was like, this is a brand new roll of film. I can't do that. So yeah. yeah, yeah, you run into that every time, I've, especially I've, in New York. I've well, yeah, especially in New York, I guess yeah. people have like, no shame like yelling at you I'm for in this. Paris too, no? Yeah, well, Paris. Yeah, they they would, but I I learned to be careful and cautious uh, when shooting kids. Pretty often, I shoot a half I, of the yeah. face or from the back. Yeah. Uh, because I mean, for obvious reasons. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, you learn to be uh, discreet and. You also learn to point at something when you're actually shooting at the person. Yeah. And it's much easier if you have somebody with you. Um, but that being said, and that's going back to the body camera, what I find to be surprising though during COVID. So like I said, I would step out of the house about one hour per day and 900 meters away from my home. That was the Pont des Arts, you know, mm -hmm. which is right on the Seine River yeah. by Le Louvre. I would systematically go there for sunset. And I love that sense. I noticed sunset. that people would be more scared of me with my phone than people that would look like technically photo reporter with a very, very fancy camera. While I've noticed myself and I witness guy being voyeur and literally yeah. shooting, girls, they shouldn't be shooting with a large camera, right. but they wouldn't be suspected because they would look like, oh, he must be a photo reporter, he's a journalist sitting in the city. And with your phone, people are so scared of the, the, the viral Creeps, yeah. aspect of taking picture now that is scared of people taking picture with their phone when honestly, I think every day huh. you have, I yeah. never thought about that. Yeah. That's interesting. I thought I was safer with this, but it became kind of a paradox where people are more afraid of the this phone. This looks more of like a personal, uh, pleasure regard in, in the, yeah, it makes yeah, sense. Yeah. And, and some people might, might tell themselves, well, he, because he shoot with the phone, he think I'm not going to see him, but he probably actually like shooting some picture. He shouldn't be taking yeah. with the camera. <clears throat> it's so obvious that, right. You, you cannot hide from it. And you're not trying to hide it. That's the point, right? No, yeah, you're not exactly. trying to hide it. Um, but yeah, so I, I started sh shooting like every every single day and I started posting online, social media, and people from Paris, people from New York, from Dubai, French people abroad, they were stuck there, standing saying, well, it makes me feel so good to see my city like that, or foreigners, and like, it's so good to see Paris within that light and that perspective. And... But a few people kept starting saying, well, why don't you put a collection together and like do a show? And that's where the idea of my very first uh, exhibit was born, which I know you attended. Yeah. And uh, long story short, somebody offered me a space in Le Marais for just a day, just out of the third lockdown in Paris. We're still in Paris going through curfew at 6 p.m. You could not do whatever you wanted, but... I took my chance to, to put a show together and exhibit about 50 pictures. I think it was between 1 p.m. and 5.30 p.m. because right. people had to be home at 6. Yeah. And that day, I sold about 75 pictures, and I'm like, oh, wow. It's actually 
it's worth it. They were limited series of 30, and like right. each print could sell several times. But yeah. it was a great call. And I told myself, well, if the show do well enough in Paris, I'll take it to New York because yeah. this is my hometown right. kind of still to my, uh, this is the way I see it. And I've that whole network of friends and clients and, and that I had for so many years. And I'm a green card holder, so I'm still technically an American resident. So I still I go back and forth for that one reason. And I did the show in New York, and in New York it was for just a day and a half, and I sold more than 100 pictures. And then people in Miami and LA, like we have friends all over the country, kept saying, oh, I wish I could have been in New York. I wish. I'm like, you know what? No problem. I'm coming. Yeah. So <laughs> from New York, I took the show to Miami, and from Miami I took it to LA. And that little thing that just started out of me taking pictures of the lockdown in Paris, eventually definitely... Uh, kind of accelerated the process of me seeing myself as a photographer rather than just seeing myself as it's just a thing, a hobby right. I'm doing. But, right. and this is why I mentioned the phone and I still have it next to me, yeah. I definitely suffer from the imposter syndrome. I was, I was just going to say that. yeah, Big time. Because of the phone, yeah. because I was new to it, because I was old. I mean, mm -hmm. old as in when you come to a creative outlet on the after 40, what are people going to think about yeah. uh, about what you're doing and, and how you're doing it? And I remember vividly, there was a friend called Florent, who is, uh, he's been a photographer for 31 years, Florent Schmidt, who looked at me, and he's, he can be pretty tough himself because he was seeing me probably at first as just a new kid, and, but mm. he told me, Fabian, stop it. There's no bad cameras, there's only bad photographers. Yep. If you're crushing it with your iPhone, you're a good one. That means you have an eye and you're doing it with yeah. a with a camera which is technically not as great as a 5D from Canon or all those fancy camera, which I'm not gonna take anything away from a lot of photographers, but when you have a, a Ferrari or a Lamborghini of the cameras, it makes you work pretty, not pretty easy, but much easier probably. Right. And then comes the editing and whether you have an, uh, an eye or not, but I think he definitely, the exhibit doing well, in Paris and the cities in, in the US, me s slowly but surely assuming myself as a photographer and eventually a few photographers looking at me and like telling me, stop feeling like an imposter because you're still shooting a lot with the iPhone. You have an eye, you're good at it, just stick to it and call yourself a photographer. But it probably took me about a good two years. How do you deal with that now when it's still pop? I'm assuming you still on occasion feel this way or is it completely out? No, sometimes because yeah. I'm not much of what you call a geek. Uh, mm -hmm. So I'm not the kind that gonna look in the uh, the booklet of the camera or go on YouTube and watch videos. I'm right. not. For me, it's just there's a lens. I see a frame. I right. see a scene. I shoot it. Now I kind of work on the on the lighting. That's something that I was the son of an architect, so I think it definitely played a part. People always tell me I love the way you frame. I've always look at the perspective, les lignes mm -hmm. de fuite. That's something that mm -hmm. I really care about. Um, I shoot mostly and only in color. I don't shoot in black and white. Um, but yeah, from time to time also, because I'm telling myself, should a brand reach out to me and said, well, we want to do that awesome campaign photo studio. I'm like, what am I going to do if I find myself like looking at this when I remember when I walked in <laughs> to me, it's just still like, I'm a stranger to all of this. Right. But is oh. this something that you'd feel you'd have to do or no, but, um, or do you want to do the one thing I keep saying to people and I, I stick to my gun is, um, I'm, I'm doing it out of passion first. It yeah. really is a creative process to me. 
and I want to keep it that way. I don't want to be like many people do, and I respect them because this is their full-time job. But when this is your job, you wake up in the morning thinking, I may have to shoot a wedding, I may have to shoot a party, I may have to shoot something I don't want to be shooting, a product shot in restaurants. I don't. We've already experienced it. You were passionate about bringing people together, being in nightlife. I loved nightlife. I lo- when I first started, I loved it. I lived, I'd go out on nights I didn't work. I was out all the time. But when it became a job, that's when the passion was lost and the love of it was lost. So having learned your lesson that way, don't do it. Yeah. I said, keep on doing your passion. No, of course. And this is, I think, the, the beauty of coming to a creative outlet on the, at a, a later age, as in, like, let's say for me it was roughly 40, um, I don't feel like I have to regardless. Like I right. really want to stick to the fact that <clears throat> keeping it a passion, and yeah. this is my passion, and I'm sticking to it. And that doesn't stop me from, let's say, my cousin, I shot his wedding. That was my wedding gift. I'll do it. But if you call me and say, do you shoot weddings? Absolutely not. No, yeah. Right. yeah like no. Uh, right. I shot a party. <laughs> I shot uh, friends have restaurants like you, like yeah. in New York. or And I would, yeah. I would eventually shoot their restaurants and even the food. I don't care. I'll do it because with friends... I'm making it as a favor right. and I might even get paid for it, obviously, and right. fully. Uh, but I don't want to advertise myself as somebody right. that does product shot, wedding pictures, party pictures. And I could. I mean, you know, we knew course, what yeah. was his name. Uh, you remember Craig? Craig. Craig. Uh, Ike, uh, Ike Love Jones. That was his uh, brand. Ike Love Jones. Okay. Was, well, anyway, saying that with all the nightlife people we know, should I want to shoot parties? I probably could like come back to New York and shoot. So no, much I can't. And make I a can't see you doing that. I but don't want to see you doing that. Yeah. This is not what I'm doing. I mean, yeah. you've seen the pictures I shoot. Of course. And I encourage people to go and check it out on my Instagram because it's not like I have a website. Right. But I, I use my Instagram for that one purpose that I shoot people. I care about people, and this is. You've seen the live show. What I'm saying. I yeah. love to capture moments. Life. I love to shoot that unsolicited instant, mm-hmm. like capturing people at their like true nature. And the reason why, going back to the device I'm using, is interesting. When we're talking about the body camera, I do a lot of photo exhibit, like any, like many people, specifically when it comes to photographer, whether it's Vivian Mayer, like Erwitt Elliott, uh, Cartier-Bresson. These, um, they had the luck that when you were shooting 40, 50, 60 years ago, People thought it was so awesome to have your picture taken. And when you go to the exhibit of Vivian Mayer, it's so obvious because she was shooting mostly like low-class people. For them to be able to have their picture or portrait taken was such a luxury. They want to be a part of it. Now, what we were saying earlier, go to somebody in the street. Say, I would love to shoot. I'm a photographer. A lot of people say, no, don't bother me. I'm not going to curse, but you know what I'm saying. I saw the Vivian Mayer exhibition in Paris. Yeah, with those blue, beautiful, like, scenery. and Beautiful. Yeah, or you yeah. even watch what Steve McCurry was doing, uh, photo reporting all mm-hmm. over the world. Yeah. yeah. And he shot those portraits. I mean, I wish I could. Sometimes I see people in the streets. I want to stop them. Like, yep. I, I genuinely think those people have such a beautiful face, whether yeah. it's the, the, the wrinkles of the face, the air. And I want to, but it's kind of, I, I don't even know how to approach them. Right. Maybe once you become much of a public figure it might be easier to say well this is my name you can look me up and probably they would but when you just getting started it's kind of harsh and they might think what is he going to do with my i teachers? think i think that's also part of the imposter syndrome you may, may need to uh, wash away you know True. if you have 
I just do it. It's also, you know what? I, I said, like, I'll, I'll, if I'll see somebody wearing like a cool looking hat and the lights coming in, I might go up and say, listen, I, I need to get a shot of you. Can I? Yeah. And I'll show him some work. Like, listen, I mean, most of the time you're worried. He's going to, they're going to say no. They're going to say no. You don't want to hear no. That's the problem. So that's you why you don't do it. You try. You're exactly. Right. exactly. You don't, yeah, exactly. The, the answer is always no unless you ask the question. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. funny. Yeah. I mean, I think that goes across anything in life. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. Uh, but people yeah. would assume because as far as I'm concerned, you probably, because I work nightlife and I was a promoter, I'm super that I'm, I, I'm outgoing, but I'm a pretty shy and reserved person in, yeah, in I life. I want to tell you a little story <laughs> personally. Okay, go. Uh, no, sorry. This is a recent... Uh, I have a therapist, and my therapist gave me an assignment last week. And I don't know if I told you this, but my assignment, because, how do I say this? I'm also a little bit shy. I can talk to anybody, but I'm single. I would love to meet somebody. Mm-hmm. If I see somebody in this street, a beautiful girl, I don't know what to say. So my assignment Same. to her, Same. my assignment from my <laughs> therapist is, I, before I see her in two weeks, I have to speak to three random women that I find attractive in the street and just go up to them and say something. I'm definitely afraid in a way. <laughs> <laughs> Not definitely. Like, I know, I know I can do it, right? I can turn it on and be like, and just say something. The rejection is a little bit of a fear. But like, I, one of the reasons I don't do it is because I have a, a fear of, of having unwanted passes. I've seen so many guys in nightlife hitting on women and they obviously don't want to be spoken to. My self-awareness mm. is so high, maybe to a fault same you know? i mean i remember it too well and yeah. seeing those girlfriends of ours being bothered yes. by people and needless to mention in the me too movement we're in now uh you even more careful before you speak to somebody right specifically obviously girl whatever the age but you're being very cautious yeah and when you're in a situation like we are where you reserve and shy it probably make it harder even though i believe Judging from my perspective with you, knowing the type of person you are, we don't come across as the obnoxious person when we speak to these people. Right. And there's a reason why the people uh, stuck, like, were with us when we were doing nightlife is because I think they appreciated our personality, the fact that we're very careful. And that's something I heard from 99% of the girl that were going out with yeah. me saying, I want to hang out with you because I know you're looking after us. You're making sure we're safe, we're fine. Unlike other promoter, which I will not name, which were just using them as commodities and a piece of meat. Yeah. And, and for them, for their personal, for sex, essentially. As well. And I, I always had uh, rules of, of do not, don't, don't do that. Like the good drug dealer. Do not consume. <laughs> in a sense, yes. I mean, uh, with exception, unless if I had a real connection and they made it obvious it was okay, yeah. it's a different story. But no, I, I feel you. I, mean, I, just, I still have that rule with outsiders, mm-hmm. you know? Good rule, by the way. Yeah. But I would say we, I do believe, we come across as a uh, nice guy. We don't come across as the obnoxious douchebag. Which right. Which is going to be right. bothering you. Even though at first, that first or two line, you never know what to expect from that girl. So I feel for you. <laughs> I yeah. feel for you. Yeah. How many times I find myself in the street, I see that gorgeous woman or that girl that like transpires something that really drew me to, to her. And yeah. I'm too shy to go and yeah. talk to her. What I've done recently, though, I don't know if that could help you, is before I moved out of New York, I remember dating back to 2015, 2016, I think that comes more out of education, but I'm starting literally greeting all my neighbors, any neighbors whatsoever, but also homeless, old ladies. And you know how people can get scared in New York? 
like they're on their own in the street, you talk to them, they're almost afraid. Yeah, yeah. But I'm saying by doing it more and more, you probably get a little more uh, at ease with doing it. Yeah. More comfortable. Yeah. I don't know if that could help you with the girls as well. well that, that's, but that's I've my seen myself saying it out loud now in Paris yeah. or New York. If I see a girl, I might not necessarily approach her, but as I'm crossing her, I'm like, you are absolutely beautiful. And I have no shame saying it because I think if it's right, say it. If, yeah. And not even a beautiful girl, but I've, I've seen myself in Harlem in the park. That was uh, about a month ago. That gentleman, I run into him three times, dressed, dressed the part. Right. He, he comes from another period of time. Right, it's right. amazing. Three pieces suits. He has the, the little thing, uh, color socks, like uh, shiny shoes, right. the hat on a Sunday. And I'm like, I stopped him like, sir, I really have to tell you, you look so sharp, yeah. so, so nice. And he said, oh, thank you very much. And I felt that if you come from a good place. I, you know, I, I agree. And I, I have to remind myself of everything you just said. Yeah. Uh, and I feel it's, I know it's easier to say to for, for a man sure. or an old person or a group of people rather yeah. than a girl because you're uh, personally involved. Right. That girl, you're yeah. just afraid she's not going to like you. But yeah. it definitely at least helped me or made me feel a little bit more comfortable in speaking out loud in the, in the street at least. Yeah. And I've, because I'm going to make it a more general thing. We have a lot of issues of people definitely uh, in depression right now. Yeah. And you have absolutely no clue what a word in somebody in depression can help. It, well, what? Like the fact that you speak to somebody yeah. that might be struggling, how much this can help? I mean, I think sometimes the most impactful uh, interactions are the unexpected ones, right? So yeah, I remember I went through it was like six, seven years ago. I was going through this breakup, which was like I was down. And this one guy that I would have never expected to say anything to me in a positive light, he goes, like, why do you, you shouldn't feel bad, you made the right choice, you are way better than what, something along those mm -hmm. lines. And I never expected to hear from somebody like that saying that. So uh, to your point, I think it's great to, to provide that unexpected compliment to somebody because you never know what's go, what they're going through. Yeah, and who knows yeah. if that girl that which you like so much is actually never being bothered and would be flattered to hear from somebody else. Yeah specifically somebody that looks like a good guy come to her yeah it's just like the way you come across i feel if you're not threatening right there's no reason why she's gonna right. take it poorly exactly I mean, doesn't mean that doesn't make it easier but i think that oh, you have sure. nothing to risk for sure doing it so you have to do it three times right three <laughs> times three times before i see her yeah <laughs> I, I i've done it once uh good did it once so and how did it work it was actually on a date that i wasn't sure it was a date or not i mean it was a okay. date but uh I was telling her about my th my story of three uh, girls that's approached. It's like, yeah, to shoot your shot. So I was like, all right, I'm shooting my shot. What's up? <laughs> so well, by the way, that's yeah. a, actually a good line. Yeah. That's a good pickup line saying, well, my therapist told me that I, I told my therapist I was going to say No, but you know, it's like, especially in this country, which I love so much, it's almost your weirdo if you don't if you don't have a therapist if you don't see somebody like yeah. in France it's still like in Latin countries it's still see if you see a therapist you you're local you're right. weirdo I don't know uh, I, I, you have issues yeah. here I think people see it as a p positive thing oh for sure I I mean so, maybe healthier individuals see it as a positive thing but yeah. yeah so I mean you can sit and yeah. girl not gonna look at you it's like oh he must have issues because he see a therapist you yeah. know what i'm no, saying no, no, i think no. maybe on the coast it's probably a little oh bit yeah you, but i'm not you, trying to pick up girls in mississippi no, no, <laughs> 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 yeah. yeah fair enough um, 
Okay, cool. Um, so you're you're a photographer. You have to I say am. proudly you're a photographer. I, I have to say it. Do you have um, a plan moving forward, or is, is this to see? Um, what? Well, that's uh, what I'm trying to figure now. Is what where I want to take uh, that passion of mine, yeah. and how could I develop into something even more tangible? That could also provide a bit of a more stable income. Right. Um, being more, not even being more, being a street photographer, uh, shooting a lot of people. Uh, like you know, the last show was called Citizen of the World. I, I mostly and only care about shooting people. I can appreciate the natural mort, like a still, like yeah. beautiful sunset, like anything else. But I'm not gonna hike for seven hours with a stand and five cameras just to shoot the perfect sunset. At right. least not for now. But also I think you're, you have a love for people and the human story. You're a storyteller. We, like, we yeah. introduce you. So it makes sense to shoot people. The question the is when you do shoot people and you shoot street, how do you generate actually money out of it at the exception of making exhibits? I've done exhibits. Thankfully so far they've been extremely successful. But it's not like I could do two or three of them a year and it right. would provide such an extensive... Right. I think you can diversify. Well, he, maybe well, he has. I know. I noticed that. All right. So there's a street photographer in London, uh, Craig, uh, Craig Whitehead. He goes by okay. uh, Sixth Street Under. He does a yeah, lot of. He, I follow him. So yeah, love he, what he does. He, that, dude, amazing. Sixth Street Under. I literally got his last book. He put out a book of all the stuff when he was in New York. He was in New York for like two weeks, and he literally put out a, a small book of just everything he did in New York. Yeah. That. Well, these are the paths that I've been trying to explore. Yeah. There's the book uh, option, also the uh, trying to partner. I don't know if it's a brand or a partner with maybe a TV network. The same way Anthony Bourdain used to do documentary. How can you eventually, the way I usually um, shoot a city when I go to a brand new city, a lot of people have told me, and I think that's a good example that I've seen so many pictures of my city, but seeing it through your lens make me rediscover my city mm -hmm. as if you could have gone to the same places 25 times. My, my take on this, yeah. the 26 could work even better as in Bourdain probably shows like that had been done before, yeah. but he had, he had his own way, his own twist. Of course. And it was part of his personality as yeah. well. Largely. Largely, yeah. obviously. And I think even though like traveling shows and discovering cities been done, I don't know if I could eventually partner with the TV network or, or brand. I could say, or well, tour, we would love mean, for you to go to that, this and that place and, and, and shoot it. And you have carte blanche. Yeah. Do you think we trust you? We love the way you shoot lifestyle and you shoot people. And this is exactly what we want to put, whether it's a booklet for, I don't know, tourism, a booklet for a tourism board or, would be a nice one as well. I mean, or, or doing, yeah, like I said, with a TV network and you have a show, which is, I don't know, once a month and yeah. which would, Obviously, um, bring together all that I love so much. Yeah. Photography, traveling. I obviously yeah. love to travel. Um, getting to know new people and discovering new culture. So that's an option. So the book is one. Um, I think with the like the, the video series, like for like a TV network, I mean, you probably have to start like everybody else and do like a couple of YouTube things. Like create something that you would actually be able to put on like a YouTube or stuff for like Instagram, like the shorts and stuff like that. Yeah, which... I mean, I'm sure you're aware of it. Something that I've I've been finding extremely frustrating for photographers that shoot still pictures, as you know so well, the social media now because of TikTok in the TikTok world, all they care about is the is video, video. Yep. content. Mm -hmm. I had literally two friends of mine. One is an ambassador for Nikon in Italy, big big time, like he's a big one. He, he was posting the other day stories saying, 
Instagram literally called me, this is the third time, to ask me if I could create more video content because this is what really works and this is what they want to put in the algorithm. So if you find yourself like videographer like us who do still pictures, you literally, for you to get within those algorithms, to get some virality and to get some traction, you have to do a reel of your still picture. Otherwise, yeah. you get out of the algorithm. Yeah. And I've noticed it, tremendous, like in the last two years, the way it changed and the way that the, the traction and the, the amount of people that see my stories and see my, my post. While I do have more followers, I have pre really loyal and faithful f followers, but because I only do still, I get out of the algorithm. So I think uh, things go in waves. So stick to what you, your passion is. Don't listen to the noise. Um, don't be forced to do something else. I mean, do what True. you need to do, but don't, because I'll use this a nightlife uh, example. Uh, I remember when house music, EDM, not house, it was EDM. Mm -hmm. It was a big difference. <clears throat> House is good, EDM. Mm. Uh, so it became the mainstream. <clears throat> and uh, all these DJs that were doing hip hop, hip hop parties were now house DJs, want to be house DJs. Yeah. And a couple of people, specifically DJ Soul, was like, no, nah, I'm sticking to my passion. And these hip hop guys that stuck with hip hop, obviously it came back and they came True. back very strong. And thankfully for them, they stuck to their passion. So don't versus, let trends that Versus the one that turned themselves towards EDM and, and got lost in yeah, the process. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So stick to your passion. Don't get diverted. Uh, don't look at other people for your plan. Keep, not only see blinders on, but stay eyes on your vision. Yeah, well, I know that I'm a pretty stubborn person yeah. in the first place, <laughs> but uh, I'm trying more and more to at least be open to the possibility of exploring, should I actually try to create once or twice a month, a reel out of a few of my stories. I haven't seen anybody do this yet, and it literally just came to me. If you do like, if you do a reel with a still picture, but you use a voiceover, and you explain in mm. the picture what you've done, like, all right, so I was here, and this is what was going on. Like, did not that many people do that? And you sound like you have a really good speaking voice, so I know people will listen to you. Okay, while cool. you do it, that's a good idea. <laughs> Thank you. There you go. I like that. Uh, yeah. Actually, the podcast Wait. is a brainstorming session. For you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. It is brainstorming and a bit of that's, therapy too. I mean, yeah. Podcast I, I can give you. Uh, I can give you the tips on the voiceovers. They've been working really well for us on the outsider stuff. So, uh, okay, you'll get the hang on of yeah. it. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I'm trying to be open to other options to. I don't want to fall into the train of it, but at least be open to the possibility of helping my brain grow a little bit better because the way the social media are shaped or organized mm -hmm. doesn't necessarily fit the bill for what I do. Mm -hmm. And this is, this is incredibly frustrating. So I feel like there's a lot of photographers out there that must be so frustrated like I am because... Yeah. You want to have your, your work out there, and at the end of the day, if you're not one of the 10 that everyone's follow, you're pretty much in the matrix somewhere. Yeah. Nobody really... It's okay. Get your website. Get your... You, you do some ads for yourself if you want. But, but I sort of... I mean, I, I will eventually do a website because I do sell, and I think it's great to, to sell some prints. But sadly, I mean, to these days, Instagram, your Instagram page still remains the best for your brand. Uh, like who really look at website anymore? I would see more the website as an online shop, and you're that's what I mean. Right, that's yeah. what you mean. Okay, yeah. but otherwise we are stuck with Instagram now. You don't have a choice unless you anymore. unless you want to start telling stories about each image. 
I could. You can do that. You can do that on Instagram, but you can also do like it's a, a cross platform. You can literally you can branch it over into YouTube. Well, kind of like can, what we do with the podcast. Yeah, we put exactly. like the catchy moment in the tagline of what it is. But if you want to see the whole thing or see the whole read the whole explanation, yeah, go to the website. I mean, <clears throat> and that's what a storyteller should do. But exactly. you, you know the contents that I usually post. I, I do not only post a picture. The same with the story. I'm gonna add up some music. The caption matters. Yeah. I put some text. I put some effort into explaining why and what I did. Um, what I find interesting though from doing now seven exhibits is even though you had uh, there was a reason or whatever you shot at every exhibit sometimes the people that come to uh, the exhibit and look at the picture give me another outlook or look on my own picture and I'm yeah. like oh wow that's actually interesting yeah. or something I may have not noticed Right. and trust me I'm super particular on details but sometimes I may have missed something yeah of course and that which is why I could tell the story, but yeah. having people telling me their own take on it. That's another uh, angle. There you go. Yeah. But in, in a way, so I, I leave it open in not saying this is the one uh, side to the story. There's many sides to the story. Right. Yeah. And, and actually people looking at your pictures can give you another side to yeah. the story, which I find very interesting. And I was surprised in many of my exhibits. I'm like, oh, wow, that's actually cool. I might use it now. I might say yeah. it. When people ask me about that picture, I might say it. Yeah. Yeah. That's... Well, that's a good approach. It's more yeah. to storytelling. Yeah, there's a lot to it. Um, all right, so we're going to ask you some more normal questions now. Okay. <laughs> uh, what, do you, what do you do for fun? What do I do for fun? Mm-hmm. <laughs> what do I do for fun? Uh, if, like, honestly, as cliche as it sounds, getting with my friend, my close friend, which was definitely part of the reasoning of me going back home, mm-hmm. uh, being very French, it's a lot of great meal, great food, great wine. Yeah. It's not doesn't involve partying anymore. Uh, it involves me traveling. This is fun to me when I travel, uh, when I go to new places. Walking around, that's might not be fun to people. It's fun to me actually. Same. I step out of my house all the time, and I love walking around and, and walking the streets and witnessing scene. And yeah, I mean, music is a huge part of my life. Yeah. Uh, so that's part of the. F- would you call that fun? Yes, it is. It's Absolutely. Fine. Yeah, yeah. Same. I think we have similar interests. Uh, we we probably mentioned this already, but what are your personal goals and dreams and professional goals and your dreams? If I was honestly able now to mostly, not honestly only, but mostly um, leave out of my passion. <laughs> yeah. It's cliche. We say in French, heureux qui de sa passion on a fait son métier. Mm-hmm. It's really like when you're able to earn a good income out of your passion. It's amazing. I definitely would love to be able to do that without compromising to do what we said, which is yeah. shooting weddings and, and parties. And um, So yeah, I'd love to be able to do so. And if that could still involve a lot of traveling, that'd be amazing. Uh, personal ambition or dreams, definitely being able to start a family sometime soon, just like you, still yeah. single, still yeah. <laughs> looking for the, the one. Uh, Ladies, if, for- you're, if you're interested, <laughs> uh, Fabien Degroux, yeah. you can find him on social. Looking for a partner. Yes. That's definitely what I'm looking for. And I was lucky enough myself to grow in a family. My parents were still together. Uh, I have two brothers and sister with three. I was the baby. Uh, I'm still super, super close to my brother and sister. I have five nephews and sisters like you. I yeah. know how close we are from yeah. our family and the, 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 the relatives. So I definitely want the same for myself. And 
which was part of the reasoning of me also spending some more time back home and um, getting closer to my culture and the roots and and mm-hmm. yeah makes sense okay um what advice would you give high school you uh wow that's a good one especially from working that podcast with my friend that's something i heard pretty often yeah um i wouldn't change anything just because i think you need to do mistake and make mistakes to be able to learn um i probably wish the high school me at I had confidence, but probably not as much, which you gain with experience. But just like you, I'm still very shy and reserved, but I definitely gain in confidence and experience it, and, and that definitely helped me being able to uh, create uh, more opportunities for myself. Um, but no, I wouldn't change much. I mean, actually, looking back, those 15 years I spent in New York, you probably some stuff that you wish went in a different direction, but yeah. life wouldn't be the same otherwise. Yeah. And honestly, I'm, I'm very happy the way it unfolded. And I wouldn't change anything. If any, just like I said, as far as uh, the vacation time, spending more time with the one you love. Yeah. yeah. And we all get stuck in the matrix in New York, and I was one of them. And I'm a family person, so I still like went home three or four times a year, which for a working New Yorker is a lot. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I was crossing the Atlantic at least four times a year, but still wasn't enough. Mm-hmm. And I think we... We've all been there. You eventually lose someone and you understand that you should have probably spent more time with them. So, yeah. On the personal level, I school me would say to not forget to spend quality time with the one you love, especially when you're in high school, you know you're a bit of a dickhead and yeah. <laughs> there's so much that you want to do and you don't want to speak to your parents. Yeah. I was not one of them. I was like pretty close to them, but still. It's definitely you want to take over the world. Me going to New York was definitely part of that process. I want to right. take over the world. I want to be on my own. I want to prove myself something. Of course. Prove to your parents. Prove to a few people. Mostly prove myself something. But in the process, you might forget the people that you care so much about and care about you. Mm-hmm. And yeah. So spend some uh, quality time with the one you love. Agree. That's a, that's a great one. What's your favorite part of Outsiders? Ooh. Uh, because I've been watching it from far since the beginning and i've seen you grow and i think it's such an amazing concept i'm i love traveling but i mean obviously love nature just in general and a lot of my travels are not in fancy hotel it's usually like i went to iceland or i go to the i go to the Alps all the time uh i go to the ocean i love this so much and we lost track of what really matters in life and I'm not going to start a debate on the climate change and, and all of this, but if Outsiders is just not so in line with uh, whatever people should have on a personal level as far as like personal ambition and ambition as, as a community, we should spend more time out. We should spend more time caring about nature. We should spend more time with other people. Yeah, And I love the way Outsiders is actually bringing people that are not necessarily from the same background right. and not necessarily know each other and from watching some of your videos and some of the stuff it's it's pretty cool to see from when they leave at 11 or 10 a.m and by the time everyone comes back you you recreate a community which we did in nightlife which we had a thing for it but it's nice to be able to do it um on another platform or in another playground environment agreed and it's it's for me that's what i enjoyed about the nightlife aspect and being able to do that in a more sustainable environment that brings more to people that's not just consumption based yeah. alcohol food whatever is fulfilling and creating great memories and these people i see people making their best friends and hanging out 
outside of outsiders all the time. So it's fulfilling. Yeah, and you might, because some people might be dragged by their friend, they're not so much of nature people. And I can easily imagine that the people that go to outsiders event eventually want to come back. And yeah. so you definitely played a part in helping them uh, finding their passion and groove for, for sure. nature and outside. So outdoors, sorry. No, no problem. Uh, next question is one of my favorite questions. What is your most embarrassing moment? Um, oh, that's rough. That's <laughs> tough. I wish I'd listened to more podcasts so I would have prepared this one. <laughs> uh, well, I'm sorry. Give me a second. I have to think. Of course. They're definitely, I mean, God, there was some probably in school, college, there was some on the... In New York, let me think about New York. Um, any unexpected moments? Any embarrassing drunken nights? Anything where you were exposed for some reason, whether it be physically or just exposed in general? Uh, well, that doesn't come to my mind. I'm so sorry. I wish I had an answer for you right now. It could um, be childhood as well. Childhood? Yeah, I mean, that childhood, absolutely. I, I, I wasn't like a, I was definitely not a bullied kid, and I was not definitely bullying. I was actually more the kid to protect, especially because my closest cousin was a bit of a geek yeah. in glasses. So I've always pictured geeks top of the class as the one I had to defend because yeah. I was, you know, projecting my cousin. Uh, but playing tennis in competition, I got bullied by a kid that was within the same... Uh, they were different leagues depending on the region, League de Paris, League mm -hmm. whatever the region you were, Côte d'Azur and everything. And, and each and every age group were three of us and one of, of the kid, which nice. We became friends eventually, but he, uh, he gave me a rough, rough time because my game back then was probably not as offensive um, on attack. How do you say? You uh, really offensive, yeah. Offensive, it was right? More on the defensive part, yeah. you know, the same more in soccer rather than being a strike a striker, you'd be aggressive, more of a defender, guess, yeah. not aggressive enough. And I remember him making fun of my game, and that definitely, uh, I didn't enjoy it at all. Right. Uh, that's something that I didn't felt so conf like great about. And you, this definitely that was some bullying of some sort, yeah. which is quite surprising because it was not the kid that was getting bullied in school, mm -hmm. but it did. That was his way to exist. Uh, looking back, I mean, I'm not mad at him. He probably helped me getting even stronger, if you ask yeah. me. So that was an embarrassing moment for you? Yeah, it was. Ex exposed as a weakness, I guess, yeah. Yeah, when people point out of what you do poorly or mm -hmm. what you do not go good enough, uh, specifically when you're 11, 12, or 13 years old, and you're yeah. trying to find your your place. Yeah. Um, yeah, that would be, that's, as far as I can remember, that would be one of those, but... Then in New York, I wish I could tell you something. There's That's probably all something, good. man. If you, if you think of it before we end the <laughs> podcast, mention it. Um, is there anything that I haven't asked you that you want to share about yourself? Um, uh, I mean, I shared some of, uh, I would say, my knowledge as far as you guys should really look after the one that you care about so much. Yeah. Uh, I'm glad, as far as I'm concerned, that I haven't shared. 
I think I shared the fact that I'm actually a pretty reserved and shy person. That's yeah. a lot of people in nightlife might be surprised, mm -hmm. like hearing this now, um, because they saw me as somebody pretty confident, outgoing, uh, when I was not necessarily. And it's just funny how you're able to um, um, use uh, a work opportunity as a way to be out there which was the case for me, which probably was the case for, for you sure. too, because people looking at us would have probably think, well, look at these two guys. They know exactly, the they know their shit. They know what they're doing. They're super confident. Even people thought at some time I was cocky, yeah. which I promise I was not. Uh, it was more, you have that shell you try to create specifically nightlife. You know too well that people want to use you yeah. pretty often. So you start being cautious when people uh, speak to you. But I've been told that sometimes I was probably cold at first and yeah. it's just me trying to protect myself and also because i'm naturally shy and reserved mm -hmm. I'm not that overly uh yeah but i find that um the people who are overly outgoing aren't are always viewed as i read a book about it like if you find a middle ground where you're extroverted when you need to be but introverted as well people seem to have more trust in you Whereas if you're always extroverted, there's something up. So it's not a bad quality to have. Yeah, there's yeah. The, yeah, it was definitely somewhat introverted as well. Just uh, yeah. it, I think it was a good balance. Yeah, just like you, which is why it worked out well. I yeah, think. I agree. I mean, it, there's areas in, the, in in our lives where we want to improve that, but yeah. Yeah, <laughs> of course. All right. So <laughs> the last segment here is five rapid fire questions. Um, okay. So you know how that works. Whatever first comes to your mind. Okay. Shoot. So first question is, other than New York City and Paris, what's your favorite city? Do it again, because I'm, I'm going to do it. It's going to come <laughs> far. Other than New York no, City. No, because you say New York and Paris. Other than New York and Paris. Because okay. I know those two are your favorites. They are, indeed. I traveled. Uh... Okay, go ahead. Do it again. I'm sorry. Uh, other, than, other than New York City and Paris, what's your favorite city? Napoli. Napoli, okay. Yeah, Italy. Why not? Why? It's just love the vibe. Uh, it's, I would say, in France, pittoresque. It's like it's, mm -hmm. they're super poor, but yet super happy the way they are. For photography purposes, absolutely amazing. You could yeah. spend a life, lifetime over there. Yeah. There are actually some amazing photographers that just keep shooting their city and their people. Yep. Uh, and that's something which I could be frustrated about is not speaking Italian because right. I wish sometime I could approach a bunch of people. But Napoli, to anybody, never had a chance to go. Mm -hmm. If you if you do not necessarily go to vacation to look for the fanciness and you're willing to immerse yourself within a culture, <laughs> that's how Napoli I vacation. is Italy. It's like in all sense of the way and 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 even historically speaking, it's one of the biggest uh, city of Italy, the kingdom of Napoli, which became eventually the kingdom of Puglia and, and it's part of Sicily, belonged to the Italians, belonged to the Spanish, belonged to the French, Napoli. There's so much, and I absolutely love this city. I've been the last five summers because really? my friends there. Yeah, Oof, I might join you next summer then. Yep. Um, if you could do any other profession in the world, what would you do? I would have. I mean, as a teenager, I would have told you to be a soccer player. Yep. Was one of them. Um, playing, uh, being a, a piano player, like in like. Uh, uh, I used to play the drums, but I I think I would have loved to be a, a musician. Having either uh, a great voice or playing the piano mm -hmm. like tremendously well and being able to perform, that's something yeah. I would have loved. Even though I'm not so keen about being in front of the camera, mastering uh, 
an instrument yeah and or my voice would have something i would have loved to do i think yeah that's interesting I mean, you're creative so it makes sense yeah um what's your vice my vice Ooh. <laughs> food yeah food booze but like not any booze like uh especially back home like great amazing wine the bon vin francais yeah. i mean and there is some amazing wine around the world but yeah, yeah food and wine and uh can be a vice i would say sounds my friends honestly i'm i'm i care so much about my f the, the the friendship that i built and that that's the one thing that count the most because to me they go together and when i explain to people why i moved back home was also the part of the process of moving back to that place where we have that savoir vivre we take yeah. our time to leave when we eat we eat we don't feed ourselves like right. american yeah. we take two hours at least uh, and <laughs> and even though i can eat alone for me eating is something that you share and you share with your friend mm -hmm. and it comes with good food and, and good wine it's not something that you do in 15 minutes yeah there's you know? there's a saying never eat dinner alone which is not always easy to do because you know people are busy but having dinner with people is so important yeah if you can but even yeah. like going back to food like i said when i prepare something for myself i don't even i do it as if i was like giving a plate to a restaurant like to yeah. somebody at the restaurant yeah it's like you eat with your eyes nice too yeah. and i think you have to yeah so food definitely one okay. of those five sides big time what's your greatest fear um right now I don't know if it's a fear, but I would say I'm 42. I'll be, I mean, 43 in a few months and not being able to have a family and kids. That's something, yeah, I've, uh, I definitely want to have a family. I want to have kids. And I remember when my dad passed, that's the one thing I told him right before he passed is that I'm so sad. You won't get to see my kids and my mm. kids won't get to see you because I know how great my parents were as parents and grandparents. Yeah. And I absolutely want that for my kids. And I want to be, uh, I want to enjoy my kids, yeah. potentially my grandkids. And by being a dad, potentially at, let's say, 45, even though we're both very healthy and we don't yeah. look our age, there's a reality. So, there you know, is, I want to yeah. be able to play ball with my kid. And so that could, that could be a fear, not being able to have kids, like, soon enough. Yeah. And or finding a person to be with, I'm not really afraid of it, but finding the right partner to have kid with and start, like, a family, which I can be very proud of. Yeah, that could be a fear. Yeah, I see that. That's the hard part is finding the person you want to do that with. <laughs> no shit. <laughs> um, yeah, it might be one of my fears too. <laughs> uh, all right, what's your favorite food and what did you bring today? So, I brought you some, uh, fun fact, the Dunkers, some Trader Joe. I'm not supposed to say probably Trader Joe, I don't know. Sure you can, you can say whatever you want. <laughs> I'm addicted to those. So you know what, I mean, People might not know, but yeah, you told me very, uh, it was. Oh, I, my bit, mom always had this in the house. Always. Are pure insanity. Wait, when's your birthday? March 9th. I'm March 14th. You are. And I love those fucking <laughs> things. I always got a fucking thing. He's a Pisces. We have a lot in common, yeah. huh? <laughs> Pisces, like yeah. the dunkers, the <laughs> photography. We love, we love to leave. These, it's a little tip. Keep them in the fridge. Yes, they so they don't melt. Like, yeah. Can I call the chocolate? Yeah. It just once you start, careful. I, I can't have I can't actually eat those because I, I'm since August I haven't done uh, gluten, dairy or sugar wow. or, or well, fun. We'll, for we'll that do matter. it for you, but <laughs> yeah. the problem is like 
You pick one, you think, okay, it's just one, you know, the size. Looks oh, like no, pretty. I remember eating these yeah. I, and I, the, half of the box is gone. Exactly. Once you start what? and I've, I've had people that like told me, yeah, no, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm like, they start and like make things, you know, five or six in your mouth already yeah. and you're going to finish it pretty quickly. And it's like chocolate and a little bit of coconut, I think. Yeah. Do you what's mind if your, I have one? Can I have one? Yeah, for sure. This is what's, actually my first food of the day. What's your uh, choice of dunking uh, beverage? Growing up as a kid, sorry, growing up as a kid, always milk. Yeah. But this, just like that. Really? I, I, these are cold dunkers, but I don't dunk them in anything. <laughs> you dunk them in your mouth. No, <laughs> just in my mouth. Yeah, that's but amazing. But they need to be um, coming out of the fridge because they, they remain like, you know, kind of chill. Yeah. Otherwise, the chocolate can be pretty... Uh, Melty, yeah. yeah. I know that. <clears throat> but yeah, you made me think it's funny because I literally bought a, a box and whenever I go back home or I'm always going to have a... going to go to uh, the shop before and get a, get a box for myself. I love those and I get so many people addicted. Yeah, uh, I know all about these. Uh, they're a problem. <laughs> they are. Yeah, there might be uh, cocaine in those. I think they're addictive. <laughs> they are. And I don't have an addictive personality. Yeah, no me, matter me how much I talk about the vice of food... I couldn't come to booze going back to nightlife. There's so many times where I stopped drinking yeah. for like two, three months and I could, which is why also I think I didn't fall into the drug trap because right. I didn't Same. have much of that addictive personality. I think as well, my parents were putting me into sports. I think when you grow up as like an athlete and you yeah. do sports and competition, you kind of stay away from it. I think in some sense, I might be over-disciplined. You know, like I really don't allow myself to indulge in anything that's really bad for me. You know? But we did though. Before, at least. With nightlife? Yeah. A little bit, at In first. a way. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I never was a big drinker. I never really got drunk. People would come to my okay. birthday party with the only purpose of seeing me drunk that one time a year. So, I could drink. I can still drink. I had eye tolerance, but thankfully, no bipolarity when I drink and consume booze or any other thing, as a matter of fact, uh, which something we witness a lot in nightlife, you and I, is the people that once they drink become a totally Oof. different person and you have to handle it. Yeah. The fact is, and I, I know some people going to hear it and going to confirm what I'm saying, people that have been going out with me for 10, 15 years will look at me like, but you don't drink, Fabian, right? I'm like, wait, alone, what? People would think to this day that I still don't drink when I could drink a bottle of Jack Daniel every night. Really? Go play soccer at seven. <laughs> Back then. Yeah. But eventually, thankfully, yeah. I don't do it anymore. Yeah, yeah. But I would because I care myself. Right. And I was not changing and I was still looking at third people. Right. And probably because these people, when they drink, <laughs> they lose their shit. And then I do not. And then you also see them during the day sometimes and they look yeah. like they look terrible. Um, a lot of them don't take care of themselves, specifically the people that work in the business. Um, yeah. But yeah, that's something I made. <laughs> that's true. Thankfully, <laughs> I don't spend as much time in New York anymore. So <laughs> I stay away from it, but I'm back home. Yeah. I'm sorry for that. And being back home, it's me being back to boulangerie and bakeries. Yeah. So it's almost like bread and uh, croissant yeah. and pain chocolat. You can, you can't find that anywhere here to the quality you find to in that Paris. Quality, no. Which no. is why back then I'd started crepe sucre. Yeah. Because I couldn't find a good crepe in uh, yeah. New York. No disrespect to the brand that opened in New York years ago. I'm sorry, you guys suck. But yeah, they're, I they're terrible. The they're like real deal. crispy. The real deal. They're like they think is good. Anyway, what really stood out about crepe sucre to me wasn't just the crepe, but it was the confiture you made. The, yeah, and the, the filling. Jams We're doing the everything. The authentic, fresh. great way as well. Yeah. And, the, and, and the correct fillings, not the stupid like 
fillings no. that you see people put whipped cream in. But but sadly, I still had to buy Nutella because in yeah. this country, people <sighs> wanted some, and they were still, I think, yeah. they're still representing about 60, 65% of the sales. Yeah. But otherwise, we were making all the sugars and the marmalade and the salted caramel. Yeah. And the marmalade, and the lemon and mar- stuff. Yeah, yeah. Depending on the season yeah. and the, the fruits. Where That's the, what the I appreciate the most. The authentic fillings. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it was great. Yeah. Now I'm back home and uh, I'm back to <laughs> croissant bread. <laughs> yes, you are. Well, I think that pretty much wraps up the interview for now. I'd love to have you back. We'd love Thank to see you, you on your journey as a photographer and as a storyteller, obviously. Yeah. So whenever, whenever you're in town, give us a shout. Thank you, sir. Thank you, brother. Thank you, brother. That was awesome.